Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 23. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 32, and please stand for the scripture reading as we hear from God in his word. Luke 23, beginning in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the person of Jesus who, in his flesh and blood, incarnates your love and your desire to know and to save the world. We thank you for his work throughout his life, but particularly his work on the cross that we witness here. Help us to see uh, and hear these familiar words with fresh eyes and open hearts, that we might be changed, and that we might receive these words as our own, as Jesus welcomes those who trust in him into his paradise. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Short phrases can have a powerful impact on your life, can't they? Think about a few of them with me. Will you marry me? You're going to be a dad. Kids, tomorrow we get to go home. Uh, each of those phrases are, are powerful on their own, but they're powerful not just because of the words that, uh, that comprise those phrases. They're powerful because of the story that stands behind them. Will you marry me carries with it this whole story of a relationship of two people falling in love. You're going to be a dad. You're going to be a mom carries with it the, the whole story of the couple trying to have children and finally being blessed by God with, uh, with, uh, with a new child. Kids, we're going home tomorrow is a family that's longed to go home for a long time and they're, they're joyful about the fact that they get to go home the next day. But it isn't until we understand those stories that are behind those phrases that we really have those, those words impact us in the way that they should. 
And at the end of our passage today, we hear Jesus say that short phrase, that impactful phrase that he says to the criminal uh, on his side, where he says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And while that phrase is powerful, it's more powerful when we understand the story behind it, when we understand who those words were spoken to, we understand uh, that invitation that is made to that man. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to get at that story that stands behind those words. But I want to do more than that. I don't just want to see what it, what it was true for when Jesus spoke these words the first time on the cross to the criminal hung next to him. I want you to hear these words spoken to you. Is it possible for Jesus to say to you today, you will be with me in paradise? to give you that assurance that you will, will spend eternity with him? Is it possible to know that for ourselves here today? Well, uh, in order to do that, I want us to look at three things. Now, first, I want us to see the man that Jesus spoke these words to. I want us to learn a little bit about him. Then, uh, Secondly, I want us to see what that man understood about himself. What did he see when he examined his own life? And then finally, I want us to see what he saw when he looked at Jesus. What did he see about Jesus that caused Jesus to offer him this invitation to paradise? That's where we're headed this morning. First of all, who was this man? Uh, Luke says that there were two criminals. Uh, he uses the word criminal to describe him. Uh, that's in our English. In English, the word criminal can be a pretty broad term for anybody convicted of a crime and facing a sentence. And, and that's uh, the case here. But in, uh, the other gospel writers use a more specific word to describe these two men. It's often translated as robber or insurrectionist. This was a bad guy. This was somebody who uh, really didn't care about other people in his life, who really uh, was king of his own kingdom and made other people serve him. He was violent and brutal. Uh, earlier in the parable of the Good Samaritan that many of you know, uh, where it tells the story of the man who goes uh, to Jericho, and he's, uh, he, fall, he falls among robbers, it says, who beat him up, leave him for dead, steal his money, and run off. Well, that's the kind of guy that this is. And we know that because uh, the Romans, while they were pretty liberal in their application of capital punishment, they didn't just crucify everybody. They crucified people who were really dangers to society, people who had done really bad things, who were a threat to the public order. And so this guy was a bad, a bad guy. He was a violent man. He's not a man you'd want to see in a dark alley. Uh, you would turn around and head the other direction if you saw him coming. So this is a, a dangerous man. Uh, secondly, uh, notice that um, this man doesn't really, isn't really naturally inclined to care about Jesus. Uh, we see the end of his story here in Luke, but if you, if you flip over to Mark's gospel, Mark actually says that when they were both hung on the cross next to Jesus, that both of the criminals reviled Jesus. And so at the beginning of the crucifixion, this man too was speaking just like his friend on the other side, reviling Jesus, mocking Jesus. And so you might think, well, you know, Jesus could say these words to him because maybe he was naturally spiritual, maybe he was naturally inclined to be, uh, to, to be drawn to Jesus. And that just wasn't the case. Just minutes before this, maybe an hour before this, he was reviling Jesus as well. So notice as well, though, that uh, not only is he a bad man, not only is he not interested in Jesus, uh, he's completely helpless. He is at the end of his life. He has maybe hours yet to live. People didn't survive very long 
in, uh, being crucified. And he is nailed there just like Jesus. He says they're receiving the same sentence of condemnation there in verse, um, 40, in verse 40. So he is there. He has out of options. He has lived a life uh, focused only on himself. And yet he has no way to turn it around. He can't go back and pay all the money back that he stole from people. He can't go uh, help nurse back to health the people that he had abused or beaten. He's out of options. He's helpless. Now, you and I might read uh, something like this and think, well, that seems like somebody pretty different uh, from me. Uh, if you're here this morning, uh, you're not a criminal. Uh, you're not in jail, at least uh, right now. Uh, you are probably naturally interested in Jesus and want to know more about him and are here to worship him. And so, uh, and you may not feel all that helpless. You think, hey, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm not facing my death in a number of hours. I've got life ahead of me. I've got uh, my health and I've got plenty of, uh, plenty of life left to live where I can serve other people. I'm, I've got nothing in common with this man. But when we look beneath the surface, we see that there's probably a little bit more in common with him than we may like, want to admit. How many of us can, recognize, can, can sympathize with uh, being concerned about ourselves and not as much with the interests of other people that God has called us to serve? How many of us wake up in the morning and think, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do to accomplish? What, what, what are my needs? Instead of first thinking about the needs of other people. How many of us think of us uh, as the kings of our own little kingdoms? crowning ourselves and making other people serve us and getting angry with those who won't serve us. Uh, we may be interested in Jesus, but we, may not, we, we are not naturally inclined to do so. Um, often our first thought in the morning is not, Lord, I'm here, I'm yours, put me to use. But often Jesus becomes an afterthought in our life. Someone we call on when we feel like we really, really need him but not someone who is with us on a daily basis and who we need, as the old hymn says, every hour. And even though we may be well able-bodied people with, uh, our, with our health and able to serve, spiritually speaking, we are just like this man, nailed to a cross, helpless, unable to, to move or to, to do any, any spiritual good. I can remember my little brother when he was one, he fell and he busted his tooth on a, a piece of furniture in our house. And so he had to have a lot of dental work done as a toddler. And if you've, if you've had dental work done as an adult, you know that that's not a fun experience. Uh, but imagine uh, getting a root canal or getting your uh, tooth removed as a one and a half or a two-year-old. Uh, the dentists have a special tool for, that, for those moments and it's called a papoose board. Have you ever seen one of these? It's, a, it's, a, it's just like it sounds. It's a board that they tie the kids to and then they do their dental work. And I can still see my brother tied down to this board, writhing and, and, uh, and just completely helpless because he couldn't move. He couldn't do anything about the things that were being done to him. That's how we are spiritually. We are helpless and unable to do any spiritual good. And yet this is the man that Jesus invites into paradise. This is the man who just moments later says, today I tell you, this is where you're going to be with me. And so paradise we see is offered in, to people that we would at least expect it. It's offered to those who have disqualified themselves from paradise. 
It's offered to people like you and me who may not have a natural interest in Jesus, who may be the kings of our own little kingdoms and who are helpless. So that's the man. But what did this man understand about himself? As he examined his own life, uh, what, what happened between the time when he was put on the cross and began to revile Jesus and the end when Jesus offers him a welcome into paradise? Well, the first thing he does is he, he looks at his own life and he, he sees his life uh, in a different light than perhaps he had before. Uh, we see this in, uh, primarily in verses uh, 40 and at the beginning of 41. Uh, his friend on the other side of the cross is still reviling Jesus. And he's still saying, hey, why don't you do something about this? Save yourself and save us. Get us out of this situation. And the criminal on the other side uh, rebukes his friend. And what does he say to him? He says, first, he says, do you not fear God? Which is an interesting uh, statement already because uh, this man has a lot to be afraid of. He has the Roman government who has sentenced him to death. He has the pain of, being, uh, of experiencing the worst form of capital punishment in all of human history. Uh, he's going to be hanging there for some time, and, it, and it's not going to be fun. And, and yet, he says to his friend, look, you, you have got something much bigger to fear than all of this going on right here. He recognizes that he has to measure his life according to what God thinks of him. And so he rebukes his friend and says, don't you understand that in a few moments, we are going to have to give an account to the God who made us for the life that we've lived. We're going to have to explain to him why we have done what we've done with the, with the gifts and the life that he's given to us and why we were so brutal or violent with those things. That, that's coming in a matter of moments. And so he begins to see his life in a new light, measuring himself by the only standard that ultimately matters at the end of the day. And what does he see when he measures himself by that standard? He says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation as, as this Jesus is? And then in verse 41, he says, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. I want you to, to think about that for a minute. He's saying, friend, we are getting what we deserve. And what is he getting? He's dying. <laughs> He's saying, friend, we don't, don't, do you not fear God? We are getting the death that we deserve with, for our life. I'm getting what I deserve. Now, that is a difficult thing for anybody to say, and it's particularly difficult for, for us to say in our culture today. Some of you may have seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. came out in uh, 1994, and uh, it's a movie about a man named Andy Dufresne who was falsely accused of murder and sentenced to prison in the rest of his, for the rest of his life. And as he's getting to know his fellow inmates at the beginning of the movie, he, uh, he's asked by a man played by Morgan Freeman, what'd you do to get in here? And he says, well, I was accused of murder, but I'm innocent, I didn't do it. And Morgan Freeman's character laughs. He says, you're going to fit right in here. And he says, oh yeah, how's that? And he said, there's not a guilty person in this place. Everybody's innocent here in Shawshank. And they're throw, he's throwing the baseball with another guy, and he says, Hey, Lou, what are you in for? He said, Nothing. My lawyer messed my, my case up. That's why I'm in here. And it isn't until later that he's talking with Morgan Freeman. He says, What are you here for? He says, Murder, just like you. He says, Well, I presume you're innocent as well, just like everybody else. And Morgan Freeman says, 
Nope. I'm the only guilty man in Shawshank. Sometimes we can feel like that in our own lives and in the church, can't we? There's not a guilty person in here, is there? We've lived good lives. We've done the right things. And we might think, well, any problems that I have, any difficulties that I have, well, that's somebody else's fault. It's my lawyer's fault. That's my mom, mom and dad's fault. That's, the pro- that's my circumstances have, have conspired together to make me the person I am. And we blame any, anyone and everyone else who can take the blame for the things that are in our hearts and in the, in the, in the, in the lives that we've lived. And yet Jesus welcomes into paradise not those who can put on a good show, not those who can find a blame for anything else that's wrong in their life, but who will take a look at their life, examine it according to the, st- the only standard that matters, and who can confess with this thief, I deserve death. I deserve death. Our world tells us that you don't deserve death. You deserve anything that you might want, and it's just yours to go out there and get it. But the scriptures tell us otherwise. Tells us that because of our rebellion against God, because, of, uh, because we've turned away from him and lived the life of crowning ourselves as king, just like this man, we deserve his punishment, the same sentence of condemnation that this man received. So Jesus welcomes into paradise those who we least expect. And he welcomes into paradise those who realize that they don't deserve to be in paradise at all. They deserve to be in its opposite. But this man makes another step. He makes another step that every Christian must do. And that is, this man, after examining his life, looking at it according to the way that God sees it, and seeing it rightly, and judging it rightly, he lifts up his eyes. And because he's there on the cross, he's got nowhere to go. And he turns his head to the side, to the man crucified next to him. And what does he see? Well, on the surface, he sees not much. On the surface, he sees a man that is beaten and bloody and tired and pulling up just enough to get a breath every so often, who's been mistreated and mocked and continues to be mocked even here in front of this criminal wearing a crown of thorns. And so on the outside, he doesn't see much. And that's still the case here for for Christians as well. As we come to the church, as as we read the scriptures, sometimes we don't see much. But yet his, the eyes of his faith are able to see beyond what he's able to see with his eyes. He's able to see more in this person who is crucified next to him. Remember, thousands of people were crucified in the Roman Empire. There's nothing particularly, it wasn't a light shining down from heaven on Jesus there. And so he's able to see see something more behind the man that he sees. What does he see? He tells us what he sees here. Look at verse 41 again. He says, we are receiving the, the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man's done nothing wrong, he says. How does he know that? Uh, my thought is maybe he was in the trial room in Pilate's courtyard where Jesus was arraigned and where Pilate put him in front of the Jews and said, hey, look, I know you want me to crucify him, but 
He's done nothing wrong. He's innocent. And yet the Jews cried out more and more, crucify him, crucify him. And so it's, it's likely that the criminal would have been there and would have listened to that and said, look, I've done, some, I've done a lot of things wrong, but he appears to be innocent. And so he tells his friend, this man has done nothing wrong. We deserve to be here, but he doesn't. And so the punishment that he's receiving, the condemnation that he's receiving, can't be for the life that, that he lived because he hasn't done anything wrong. So he first recognizes that Jesus has lived the, the life that he should have lived. He's, he lived the, li- the good life that, that he uh, wrecked. <laughs> but Jesus lived a different life than him, a, a righteous life, a perfect life. He recognizes what the scriptures say elsewhere, that Jesus was a perfect sacrifice because he lived in perfect obedience to his father through, through his entire life. So that's the first thing he sees. And then he, the second thing he sees is that Jesus is merciful. Have you ever met anybody who's, uh, who you perceive is to be a bit holier or more mature than you? Sometimes those people can be intimidating because we think, well, they are, they're, more, they're holier than I am and I, I'm not going to be able to, to compete with them. They're, they're, they know what they're doing. They're mature. I'm immature. And they're not going to really pay much attention to me. And this man recognizes that even though Jesus has lived a righteous life compared to his, he can have mercy on him. He says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Notice he doesn't say remember sinners in general, remember those people out there, remember people like me. No, he says, remember me. Remember me by name. Jesus, he recognizes that he can have mercy. How does, how does he know that? How, how, how does he come to that conclusion that Jesus might remember him? Well, think of, think of what he's just seen on the cross uh, just a few moments ago. We heard it. Uh, it says, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This criminal heard those words. And maybe it is that he saw these people angry and bitter and violent and crucifying Jesus. And he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he thought, well, if he can forgive them, then maybe he can forgive me. I've been as violent as they are. I've been as callous as they are. And if, and if he can ask the Father to forgive them, then maybe he can forgive somebody like me. And so he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. But there's one more thing that he sees. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes that Jesus is a king. He'd seen all the mocking that they'd done of him, putting on the robe and putting the staff in his hand and pressing the crown of thorns onto his head. And he'd read the sign above his cross this is the king of the Jews. And he heard them still mocking him about being the king and saving himself. And he wasn't fooled by that. He was able to see and to think, this guy is really a king. And for whatever reason, this is not the end of the story for him. He was able to see that beyond this, this, this man was going to inherit a kingdom and that he was going to inherit a kingdom where he would be able to remember sinners like him. And so he cries out, he takes off the crown that he had crowned his own life with, and he casts it at the feet of the true king, Jesus, and he says, Jesus, remember me. And he submits his life to the king of kings 
and to the Lord of Lords. Paradise is offered to the people that we would least expect. It's offered to those who realize that they don't deserve it. And it's offered to those who will rest in Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to try to build a paradise here. A paradise I can see and touch. One that I can measure. One that I can count. But as we seek to build those paradises here on earth, one of those tangible ones, we are always anxious because we know that any paradise that we build here with our own efforts is a paradise that can be gone like that. It can be taken away from us. It can be gone with a dip of the market. It can be gone with a move to another place. It can be gone with a loss of a job or our kids moving away or whatever it is. It can be taken away from us in a heartbeat. And Luke doesn't tell us, but my guess is that after this criminal heard the words of Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise, that he took a big sigh of relief and rest. Because here's a man who, just like us, can't build any paradise himself. He only has to receive the paradise that Jesus offers to him. And it's the paradise that Jesus assures him that he will have because he's rested in him. Have you rested in Christ today? Have you given up the paradise that you're trying to build and, and receive the paradise that Jesus offers to you by grace? Have you recognized that you're helpless and that you can't build it yourself and that you need him to build it for you? Well, he has, and he offers it to you by grace. And he says, come to me, confess that, ask me to remember you. Submit to me as king and I will welcome you into paradise. These words can be yours, friends, if you'll come to Jesus. May we hear those words as spoken to you today. Maybe not today you will be with me in paradise, but on that day when he takes you to be with him, you will be there with him. And now we can rest and devote our life in service to others because Jesus has secured that for us by his death and resurrection. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of grace. We thank you that for helpless sinners like us who just like this man hung on the cross next to Jesus thousands of years ago, we have forfeited our right to be in paradise, but that you have come to us in the person of Christ, living the life, the life where he did nothing wrong and exchanging that for our life where we have done everything wrong, facing the punishment for our sins on the cross and rising again to inherit a kingdom where he can welcome sinners and remember sinners like us. Jesus, remember us now that you are seated in your kingdom. Receive us into your kingdom and your good timing. We ask all this in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.